Welcome to another episode of Conversation with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampian. I got a good brother here, Mr. Rodney Burris, author of the book, Get Off the Cycle. Welcome, man. Welcome. Appreciate it, man. Um, it's good to be here. I, 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 I listened to a couple of your shows, man, and uh, good people recommended you, so I'm just I'm happy to join up with you, man, and connect. Hey, man, appreciate it. First, man, let me congratulate you on the book. Thank you, bro. I'm proud of this thing, man. I, I always keep a copy with me. You know what I mean? I know our folks can't see it, but I'm holding it up right now as we speak. Uh, get off the cycling run. James, you want to know something, bro? I designed this cover, man. That's a nice cover. I, 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 it caught my eye when I first saw it. I designed the cover, man. I did a lot of research about, about covers, man, um, uh, about, you know, what, what the top-selling books of all time, you know, what were the components of, of their, their covers. And uh, they, they all featured a human being of some sort. Uh, they all had, like, a hand-drawn feeling to them, uh, 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 look to it. Um, and different other things, man. It was like three to five colors on there, nothing too crazy. And I did my research, brother. I compiled a lot of different stuff. And this is what so, I let me, so let me be honest. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not an avid reader, but I cool. bought, I bought two copies of the book. I finished reading it. I actually believe it or not. And let me be honest, man. I knew you was coming on. I knew we was doing this. So I just finished it like half an hour. Like six <laughs> <laughs> my man was like when you was calling me right now I was flipping the last pages I was trying to wrap it up hey look man I, I'm on the metro and I'm at work so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I did a lot of reading on the metro and then I, I come home man you know I mean you got family so you know it's like everything don't go according to plan when you get home so I did a bulk of it you know on the, on the metro and it, it was a it's an easy read it's a great read man congratulations thank you, thank so, you yeah go ahead I'm sorry. I, I, go ahead. I fin let me let you finish. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, man, it, it, I put my heart into it, but I must admit, man, you said it was an easy read and, and that kind of thing. I, I appreciate hearing that so much because it felt easy to write, James. Like when I was, when I was, it kind of poured out of me. I don't really know how to describe it. The best way I know how to describe it, it felt like, I'm going to give you two examples. It felt like a water stream like coming through me if, if that makes any sense at all it was like like fluid like that it wasn't forceful it wasn't rushing it wasn't that type of water that knocked anything over it wasn't a trickle it was like a fluid flow that's the first thing and then the second thing like when i was getting all the ideas about it like all of the imagery and the extended metaphor about the bike and how it relates to life and how simple it is but how like I'm going to say it's profound, but please understand that I'm not saying that my ideas are so profound. I'm saying I felt like it was given to me, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Kind of like Neo in the Matrix. So if any of the four, if any of y'all listening to this ever watched the <laughs> and Neo was like blinking his eyes and putting the thing in the back of his head, he was like, boom, I got this. Or boom, I understand X, Y, Z. That's what it felt like. It really felt like some sort of download. And when I was putting it out, I was typing, it was like the most easiest fluid flow until I hit a wall. And we'll talk about that wall later. But I definitely hit a wall. How long, I couldn't finish it yet. How long did it take you to actually write the book? That's embarrassing, man, because given everything I just said, you would think it was like in and out. Um, I wrote 80% of the book at one time uh, within okay. a week, week and a half. 
80, oh, wow. The entire thing was just, whoo, I mean, it was just like, uh, part of what made me stop was like, I, I got kids and all that other kind of stuff. It was like, it's time to make dinner. It's time to get somebody out the bathtub, you know, it's time to whatever. So, but I, outside of that, like, even when I would get up, it was like I would get another piece. It's like I had to get up and move my legs and let that blood circulate. And it was like, here's another download. Here's another piece. You know, it was such an easy thing, man. Um, that was in 2012. I published it in January of 2018. So why the heck? Oh, wow. With something that was such an easy download, that started in 2012 and I get published until 2018. Because I hit a wall. I hit a wall, man. And like I said, I got 80% of it out. And then it was like I couldn't finish it. And it, it, the book wasn't even, when I say I couldn't finish it, it wasn't like I couldn't get the conclusion or I couldn't get the last chapter. I had the entire book laid out, but it was small bridges and transition pieces and nuggets in each of the segments of the book that I knew that that part wasn't complete yet. That part, I couldn't complete it. It's like I couldn't link it. So I had like this chain laid out that should have been strong and thick and mighty and long that had links in different segments that were missing. And I would try to pick it up and write and and I couldn't and I couldn't and I couldn't. Um, I was stuck. I was stuck in my own cycle, bro, to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. The first, so the first page, I believe it was the first page, immediately caught my attention with the story, what you riding, and you had to jump off the bike. I said, oh, man, that, I said, this is a way, this is a good way to start the book. It was just a, it was a real good setup for the book, man. I I really for that. That was right. That's a true story. So what what James is talking about, y'all, is, um, so the book is called Get Off the Cycle and Run, right? Relationship cycles are behavior patterns, relationship things, events that repeat over and over again in our life and kind of have us in this habitual habit of being stuck. I'm not progressing. I'm not moving forward. I'm not making progress. I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over again, get the same results. And I really don't even see why. A lot of times, Jay, we don't even realize that we're the engine behind our own uh, lack of productivity. We're the, we're the reason for it. We don't even realize it, right? Because we're so used to our systems, our cycles. Well, the story that James is talking about, true story, real life. I was a kid in Baltimore, um, kind of going downhill. I was riding a bike. I may be about six years old, between five and seven, right? I, between that, around this time. So I'm five, six, seven years old. Just barely learned how to ride a bike. I had a blue bike. I think they called them bikes Huffy or BMX bikes. You remember them bikes when we was little? Yeah, like, yeah. I had like a blue one of them. I'm on it and I'm going. And it wasn't like a big, slopey hill. But for a little kid with a bike that's a little bit too big, that's pretty fast to just learn how to ride. So I'm going down, Jay. I'm going, I'm going, going. And I know, it's like I saw it in front of me. I'm about to flip and flip and roll and bump. Like I'm about to crash and burn. And I was trying to control it, and I knew I needed to get off the bike. But getting off the bike means jumping, right? <laughs> and crashing, and scratching, and, so, and I was scared to jump. But I was—I knew that if I stayed on it, I was going to f myself up. So I jumped off the bike. It's, it's, it was crazy because it's like when you when I read it, I yeah. Can, 
visualize you riding a bike. So I said, okay, that's a good, that's a good lead up. But I wanted to talk about the motivation because at the first, the first intro, like everything you did to set the book up was really well. And you talked about your mom calling you and that was, that was actually deep. So I want you to address that more, just how your mom was the motivation Absolutely. for you right now. Absolutely, bro. So uh, I'm the oldest boy. I'm the, I'm the oldest child and the only boy. I'm the only son, right? It's three of us. Okay. Uh, so I have two younger sisters. In 2012, uh, my sisters were still in and out the house, living with moms, right? In and out. Sometimes they leave for a year or two, come back for a year or two both dead, both gone, sort of thing. My mom was the type of mom that brought in other young ladies, right? She was the Kool-Aid mom, okay. right? So she, um, let me let me vent real quick. My mother was a better friend and, and confidant to my little sisters. When, my, when I was growing up, James, when I was growing up with Miss Sharon, Miss Sharon didn't play no games. I could go away and talk to nobody. So I had to go places and talk to people and still keep her happy, right? I learned how to play the game a little bit. <laughs> But um, her and my sister developed this phenomenal bond, bro, when I moved on and I went to college. And so in the middle of that space and her taking in my sister's friends and them being really close to me, intimate and sharing and talking and connecting, she would give them her wisdom. Okay. Don't do this, do more this, blah, blah, blah. And my sisters wouldn't like... My mom felt like they didn't always listen. It's like we would cry about things, we would pray about things, we would talk about things, we would fuss about things, we would argue about things. And it's the same cycles over and over again. And she felt like not only my sisters were experiencing this, but the friends, the little girls. So she was like, I'm so, so one day she called me Jay. She was pissed off. You know, she was she was she was she was, she was just tired of it. She all up here, you know, moms get squeaky. <laughs> She all up at the top, at the top of her throat, talking. Who's going to break the cycle? And she said these words, bro. She said, somebody just needs to get off the cycle and run. And when she said that, bro, I kind of had like a, the visual of like a person on a stationary exercise bike and they pump it. They work, they sweat, they crying, and they trying, they going, they doing all of this stuff, and they not going nowhere, right? They not making it happen, they not, they not making moves, you know what I mean? Um, in real life, like the bike is stuck, it's bolted to the ground. And then they get off the bike, and they use that same energy, that same sweat, that same vigor, that same tears, that same effort, and they take off, right? And they go. And I saw that whole, I mean, I saw that, bro, as clear as the walls. As if I saw it as clear as day, man. I can tell because just the way, just the way you, just the way you formed the, you know, formed the words and brought everything together. I said, you could tell that he put a lot of thought and he, I, I felt it, man. I said, this is a good, it's a good leader. But I wanted to talk more about the book. The book, man, is really, is really interesting. <laughs> I feel kind of silly saying this, man, and I know my audience gonna laugh, but I never really learned how to ride a bike. So, Dang. <laughs> what you saying, bro? What you saying? Look, man, all of us, all of us don't have the bike, the bike riding gift. But listen, man, we gonna forgive them, y'all. Hey, man, send them some love, man. 
Send them a happy tweet, a happy twi- Twitter message, man. But it's funny because so, I, even though I'm not good at riding, I know how to ride a bike. Like I, I won't fall, yeah. but it's right. it's something that I'm not I'm not schooled at. But just the analogies you use, they they were good. I, I was like, okay, I can picture myself riding because it was just the way you tied everything in. Yeah. But the book, man, it was so many things, but I feel like I could talk all night. But the thing that made the first thing I want to address, you you talked about moving from from Baltimore to Florida. Yeah, man. Bro. How did that come about? I want you to tell the listeners how that came about. So that was a tough one, man. Um so uh, true story. Uh, moms and dads, you know, uh, my mom and my dad, um, they didn't always vibe, right? They didn't always see eye to eye. And sometimes that lack of vibing manifested itself with screaming, arguing, yelling, fighting, bumping. You know what I mean? It, it, sometimes it was it was really bad. Sometimes it was perfectly fine, normal, peaceful. Uh, sometimes it was mad tense in my house, like like mad uh, tension in the air. And so when I was a little kid, I was ten years old at this time, so maybe a year or two removed from the bike incident. Um, which my dad taught me how to ride. My dad's good people. You know, I love the brother. Uh, me and him have reconnected in my later years. That's great. Uh, and uh, he remarried, man, and he really had just shown up really well in his new set of children's life. He had some children that he brought in. Uh, they, they weren't his, you know, biologically, but he was their dad. Uh, they called him Pop-Pop. And let me tell you something. Um, I made a joke earlier about how my mom, to me, was a different mother to my sisters. And, and I meant that, but I was kind of joking. My dad was a different human being, qualitatively speaking, James, to the people that he brought into his home, uh, him and his wife, those people, then I got to experience to the point where, and I don't know how to explain this no other way, bro, it was an honor for me to watch him be pop-pop to those children, to those young people. That was 10, 15, 12 young years younger than me. Pop-pop was a good dude, you know what I mean? And so we all have our journeys, man. We all have things that we have to learn through and grow through in order to become who we're supposed to be. My dad needed the experiences that he had because they inevitably brought him to be pop-pop pop pop and allows about five or six young people who now get to go out and based on that upbringing and that background and whatever they get to go be new versions of that in the world we all benefit from that i believe that kind of stuff man so at the time prior to the incarnation as pop pop uh my dad came home he had been gone for a couple days um, my mom, this is the retelling that my mom told me. I, I was, I do not recall this firsthand. This is the story that she told me a thousand times growing up. He comes home. She is um, downstairs in the kitchen. They have an argument. Where you been with? Back and forth, back and forth. Household stuff starts getting thrown around. And in the middle of that, they stop, 
they look at each other. My dad goes and lays on the couch, um, passes out, right? Sleep, tired, whatever. My mom's sick of it. And my mom, James, she decides that this will never happen again. And she decides to take uh, them little red gallons of gasoline. She mm-hmm. decides to take one of them and burn him in the house up. What? True story. Wow. So, so yeah, so she was like, this will never happen again. And in the moment of her collecting the things that she needed to do that, she kind of had like this moment of clarity and she felt like something like internally was like, you're not crazy. So did, did he get injured in the fire? So Pete, what happened when she heard that, like that voice, I guess, or whatever, that nudging that was like, you're not crazy, you're not crazy. She packed me and my little sisters up the next morning, put us in a car and drove until she felt safe. She hit the highway. We were living in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida because she hit 95 and drove until she couldn't drive no more. Ain't really too many places to go after Florida, if you think about it. Did, um, did you guys have family there? Or that was just... Nah, man, we just were... We were we literally stayed in a homeless shelter, literally stayed in a city rescue mission, literally lived in a car for a little bit, literally had, you know, in a grocery store in the summertime, James, they have them white styrofoam coolers that you take to the beach or whatever, to the park, yeah, whatever. Yeah. That we had that in our car. We kept bologna and cheese in there, um, and ice and stuff like that. Like that lit I literally recall these things. I re- I remember being on the highway leaving Maryland in my school uniform. I remember when she didn't go down the street that was supposed to take me to the school and me saying to her, mind you missed the turn, but fully being aware that I should like, I don't say nothing. This ain't the time for that. My middle name is Christopher, right? My family called me Chris. And so I kind of like Chris, this ain't the, I knew it wasn't the time for it, but I still said it anyway. I, I kind of let her know that I realized Something ain't normal about this day. We hit the highway, bro. It was snow on the ground in Virginia. And I remember the snow being dirty and on the highway and me sitting in the front looking out the window. I remember all of that, man. So, yeah, we got to Florida and uh, we were homeless. We sh- we had a house and mugs in Baltimore. You know what I mean? Wow. You talk about break, talking about a change of cycle. My God. <laughs> yeah, man. So... All so, of that. Go ahead, man. Go. What, so when you were so Florida, I mean, like, how old were you when this happened? Because I wasn't seven, seven and a half, seven. going on eight. So I know that had to be a hell of a adjustment for you. It messed you. me up, dude. I was I was one of those kids, man. I was really, really good at school. I had like a like a sponge kind of brain. I absorbed everything in my home life. This is, dude. I've done maybe 10, 12 years work in the educational field as a consultant, as an educator, as a te- educator, as a teacher. Um, if, you're, if a child's home life is not conducive to stability, to study, to simplicity, to having food and access to those things, it's almost like the school environment is pouring into a bucket with a hole in it. Mm-hmm. So, my home life, although my parents were in and out back and forth from my birth till I was seven before we left Baltimore, which led us up to the story I just told you, 
stable enough where I was getting my work done. I was eating every day. No, we were poor up here in Baltimore. So I remember, dude, we used to eat these. My mom used to bake these like she railroads that she would make that we got from the store. And she would take them out the oven. She would rub the stick of butter like on top of them or whatever. And we would sit there and pull the things apart and all of the wispy steam would come out of there. It was crispy and buttery on top and softening it. I love them things. No. One day, I was talking to my mom, maybe in my teenage years, and she was like, you remember how much we used to struggle? I'm like, yeah, my I remember, remember. She was like, remember we had nothing else to eat but those rolls? I'm like, no, nah, what rolls are you talking about? She was like, you remember we used to eat them all the time. I was like, I don't remember not having nothing to eat but rolls, but I was like, I do remember it was these one kind of rolls. Man, we used to eat them so much. Why we don't get them? All? She was like, Chris, that's the rolls I'm talking about. I didn't know that was struggle food, dog. It never occurred to my childhood self at four, five, six years old that when we ate those rolls, we wasn't eating nothing else. <laughs> it was just good to me. Children don't know nothing about their situation. So for your folks that's listening, if I, as a parent, as an uncle, as a teacher, as a grandparent, whatever, if I give up, I have not wealth, not brand new car house, I give love, stability, and consistency. Your children are going to grow up and have a good life. They're going to come out of a good foundation. If you give them money, if you give them brand new, the Jordans and the Xbox and all of those different things, but it, it's not accompanied with consistency and love and stability, we are producing inadvertently unbalanced kids that go out into the world and you only can get what you got. So if I have unbalance, I'm going to give unbalance out into the world. I'm going to make other people's lives unstable. I had a very stable foundation in that period. And uh, it was beautiful, dude. It was beautiful. Wow, man. That's, I tell you, that's, that's seven. That's a lot, man. Dude. You're talking about going from the north to the south. And from here, you didn't have family. So it was just basically you three. We struggled, man. A lot of alone. So when I said earlier that moms was like, don't go nowhere, don't talk to nobody, it was because the only way she knew how to keep us safe for so many years was to just keep us right there. There was no aunt, no cousin, no no go here, go there. Um, the church that we was involved in was the most stable institution in my life because from the city rescue mission to the time I graduated, graduated high school, I was in a different school, James, every year of my life. For t- like, I I never spent more than t- two school years in a single school. It was always moving. And it was a couple of years of my life where I was in two or three schools in one year. You know what I mean? So it was just tons and tons and tons of instability in that regard. And her way of controlling that as best she could was to, like, completely lie. Talk about overprotective. And I understood it. Uh, which is why I had to figure out how do I also live and breathe because that would have been stifling. Like, how do I, I learned how to control her stress levels. I, I learned how to help her regulate and de-escalate. I learned how to kind of help shelter my sister and, and, and keep some of the normal, annoying, kitty things that, uh, that children would do. I learned how to be a barrier against that for my mom so that she had reprieve you know what i mean and, and and all of that kind of stuff has its opportunity cost you know it gave me and my sister a very 
bumpy relationship for a while. You know what I mean? So was I big brother or was I kind of like little daddy? You know what I mean? Was I, and then for my mom, was I son? Was I child? Or was I like confidant? Was I like heart? Was I like, I can't cook dinner, go make dinner for your kids. So that sort of thing, man, it had its cost. You know what I mean? It's things that we had to work through in all of those stories, bro. Everything that I just shared to you in part or in parcel is in this book. So um, do you, how do you, how do you think that, cause you, you yourself have, you got a, you got a little mini tribe over there with five. We got five, my wife and I got five. <laughs> how does, how do you feel that affects you now? Cause man. So, um, there's nothing more important to me, uh, than providing the nest that my wife and I provide. My kids are thriving, dude. My kids are thriving. Um, we not balling. I chose to work at nonprofit and education. By okay. definition, nonprofit don't make a whole bunch of profit, right? Right. Um, that's, that's about to change, though, man. You know what I mean? I, I think that's part of a mindset that I kind of inherited that you part of this is struggle. I think struggle, I think things are as hard as we mentally conceive they have to be. Whether we say it out of our mouth or not, whether we say, this is supposed to be hard, so now it's hard. If a part of me authentically really believes that in order for me to have this, I have to struggle, I'm going to struggle, man. There's a, I, heard, I saw this quote, dude. I'll never forget this, Jay. It said, there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain happens, suffering is a choice. I'll never forget that, dude. Wow. That's a I'll, I'll never forget that, man. It, it did something to me before it, I was. All right. Embarrassing moment. I was getting a tattoo. I got a few tattoos. I was getting a tattoo. One of my tattoos, right? Can't tell because I'm trying to keep it professional. You know what I mean? You don't got no teardrops on the face. But uh, I was I was getting a tat, man. And um, uh, I thought that it needed to hurt. And had a I was getting in a location. I was actually getting my ribs a little bit. So I believed that it needed to be very, very, very painful. I suffered so bad in that tattoo. I, I mean, I was like uh, grinning my teeth and my legs were kind of tight and shaking. And I mean, my face was balled up into this horrible looking whatever. And then uh, one of my friends happened to be around and he was like, yo, dude, you all right? And him saying that kind of like snapped me to my senses, like, yo, it's a tat. Nobody's chopping your leg off. Like, you <laughs> chose to get yet another tattoo. Like, deal with it. You know, when, he's, when I had that whole moment, I kind of closed my eyes and I dealt with it so much differently. Like, all of the wrinkles in my face, all of the clenching of my teeth, all of the shaking on my legs and all that. It still hurts. It's a needle hitting your body a few times, right? It ain't tickling. Right. I didn't have to suffer, bro. I didn't have to suffer. I, I, I say that to say I believed for a long time that I thought that I needed to financially struggle in order for my work to mean something. I thought that I needed to financially struggle because it wasn't for me to be wealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I thought all of that was true. So you know what happened? I struggled. I financially struggled. I lost opportunities. I gained opportunities. It would go but so far and then kind of tumble back down. And about a year and a half ago, I decided differently. And I promise you, and I, and I hate to say that it's like that magical. I'm, I'm not trying to act like pie in the sky. I'm not trying to say the stuff that doesn't happen. What I am trying to tell you is that the same experience I had getting that tattoo is the same experience I experienced in my money. I am not a millionaire. I am not balling out the wazoo. What I'm telling you is that I am living differently talking with you now, Jim at this stage a year and a half later than I was a year and a half ago. And the only thing that really changed in my life was that I was like, I should have. I decided differently, but I needed it. It wasn't lip service. It wasn't like, oh, I'll just. I meant what I said from the essence of my being. And it seemed like the world conformed. It seemed like opportunities opened in that space, man. I know that I wanted to go back to what you was talking about. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned something about finances. And in a book, there's a part where you talk about your wife not working. I found that pretty interesting, especially because, you know, we both from the amount of receipts for dinner. Right. So we know how costly Right. I think your sound going out, bro. No, I'm good. I had to move for a minute. Okay, okay, okay. Um, we know how costly this area can be. Absolutely, absolutely. How did you, how did you guys come to that decision? Because your wife, you know, you both went to prestigious colleges, Hopkins. Yeah. And you know, in this day and age, we don't have stay-at-home moms. She wanted, she wanted to have that experience, and I wanted, I wanted that experience too, man. I wanted. Can I be honest with you, bro? I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, man. So hopefully people hear this and they're able to gain something from it is my hope. Um, not growing up without, without a dad for me meant constant searching for validation of what manhood was for many, many years of my life. Um, up, up through even to my early years of marriage, I, I was consistently searching for what does it mean for me to be a man? What is that? Um, and in that struggle and in that search, one of the things that I stumbled across was when, when she expressed the desire to the, the, the desire to be a stay-at-home mom, I felt like I needed to prove to myself that I could support a family because I felt like that was a definition of manhood. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing, dude, the things that, and see the book talks about cycles and patterns that we've learned. It shows up a couple different ways. If something impacted you a lot growing up, either one or two things, either you're gonna accept, resign yourself and be like, this is what it is. This is true. This is good. This is fine. This is normal. Even if it was bad and dysfunctional or whatever, it's familiar. I know this. This is what people do. Or you're going to be like, I don't want to have nothing to do with that, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. For me, not having a dad meant I wanted to become super dad. Right. Poor kids, right? Everybody listen. We all need to write my kid a little thank all my kids a thank you card for putting up with dad for all these years. Cause in my attempt to be super dad, 
I probably made a lot of bumps and bruises unnecessarily for my own children along the way, man. Being well intended, but trying not to recreate cycles of the past, man. I'm telling you, dude, this sort of stuff, when I wrote this book and I, when I finished it, I ordered the first copy. I actually have the first copy right now. The first copy has proof in the back. It's the proof copy. This is my copy. It has my initials on the side of it. Um, I went back through, Jay, and I read this book. And I swear to you, bro, it felt like I was reading it for the first time as a student, man. It, 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 I'm sitting up there writing in the book and underlining crap and like shaking my head real slow. But I felt like it was speaking to my life, man. Um, cycles are something, dude. And they show up all over the place, man. And it was, it was just a pleasure to get this out. It was a pleasure to be a part. I felt like I was a part of something when I did this, man. So does your, does your wife work now or you guys still doing a stay? She's still doing a stay at home? My, my wife is a business <coughs> of a charter school conglomerate here in Baltimore, man. She, op, she, she operates three uh, charter schools, uh, very well to do, very, very professional in what she does. You know what I mean? She put up with me for some years. So I think she deserves a merit badge or, or something, a Girl Scout cookie or, or something for dealing with me for that long. But um, yeah, she's working now. She's been working for several years at this point, but we definitely hit a good stretch when our children were small, where it was important to us. She also came from a broken home. Okay. She felt like she she wanted to have a different relationship with her mother than she had growing up. And she felt like the best way to capture that was to be the type of mother that she wished she had to her children. So we both were kind of broken in the same sort of ways. And so what we ended up doing was like leaning on that broken side together. And it, it was good and it was bad. It was bitter and it was sweet. We had some great wins and we had food stamps and we had like a lot of fun and festivities and we had you know i remember one year bro um our, our furnace went out um in the house man um and we didn't have any savings to get the furnace fixed so we went an entire winter up north i live in the northeast of we went an entire winter with trying to heat our house with the dryer the clothes dryer and baking, we baked everything. We baked all meals, we baked all food, we baked everything because it kept a consistent amount of heat in the house. Just stuff like that, dude. Little, that's little things like that, that's yeah. Humbling. That's how, you know what, let me tell you something, because you mentioned, we mentioned, we talked about parents, right? Yeah. So my wife, we've never, I, my wife has always made more money than me. Yeah. Now, when I was coming up, me and my father, we had a relationship. Um, it could have been better. My father, I'll say this. My father was the best father he knew how to be. I love that. I can respect that. Like, I think, you know, back in the day, you know, it was, we didn't, they didn't get to show us affection. Yeah. So I'm learning now. I, I Sometimes I really pause mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, for my wife, because mm -hmm. my wife made a lot of sacrifices with her education and things like that. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty active on social media, right? Okay. And a lot of people will see, you know, the things that I'm doing with my child, with my daughter. My daughter's seven. And people see the things I'm doing with my daughter. So it looks like 
my it looks like I'm doing everything and my wife not. Yeah. But the reality is, my wife is doing a lot, but she's doing it quietly. She's not posting it. She's not telling everybody what she's doing. She's just handling business and doing it. But the good thing about her, mm-hmm. because she's doing well in her career, we both working as a team. It yeah. actually allows me to be a father that can actually be there for my child. Like I don't have to work, you know, I don't have to work a whole bunch of hours. I'm not stressed. Congratulations, man. That's life, my bro. That's it's, living. It's a team. It's a team. I think a lot of people don't understand, man. It's a team. Like, don't get me wrong. I would love to be in a position financially where my wife didn't have to work. But I don't think she's the type of woman that would do that. I think she's the type that she's just like, she's, dude, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not too, well, I got her to the home. Fuck it. I picked yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, she's like the most intelligent person I've ever met. So, so we actually, so she's helped me grow a lot. And one of the things I had to realize is the sacrifices that she's made has allowed me to shine as a father because she's doing the behind the scenes stuff. And and the thing is people saying what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and it's like, she's getting, I'm getting credit, but it's like, it's weird, man. Like, you know, you, you know, one of the, this is like the gift and the curse of being a black father. Right. you You get, we as black men, we get too little credit, yeah. or too much credit. Yeah. Like, it, I'm, I'm gonna give you an example about too much credit. Right? Okay. You get your your woman, the mother, the mother of the house can take a take a take your child to the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And say, you know, I'm, I'm I'm taking my daughter to the doctor, whatever. You know how people post pictures on Facebook, right? Right. right, right. Doctor's appointment today, it could be six months shots, whatever. Ten likes, somebody may comment, right? Man, do that, I do that. Hey, I'm taking taking my daughter name. I'm taking there to get some shots. It's 110 yeah. likes, yeah, yeah, yeah. comments. You the yeah. best dad of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like, need more fathers like James. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's cool, but that's your job. Right. So that you you being normal, right? Yeah. So you get a lot of um we, we get a lot of you know, we get a lot of credit that we I'm not gonna say we don't deserve, but I know what you mean like though. That. I know what you mean. Like yeah, like that that ninety that ninety five Diddy hype man for Biggie, like a little bit too much. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> I love Diddy, man. I, I got a lot of respect for Sean Combs, dude. We, that one day if I ever come back on the show, man, I'm going to tell you how much I respect him. That, that's a brother who decided to break a lot of cycles in his own life, you know, yeah. kind of overcome. His father died in uh, a drug deal gone bad. Um, his mother was a single parent. They, they, they were poor. Uh, he dropped out of school. He dropped out of college. You know, he wasn't told that he was going to be able to do this stuff. And he mentally decided this so the book is about framework like mental frameworks like how do i recognize what's going on in my life and what kind of adjustments do i need to make internally because you can't just change the world you can't change the temperature you can't make it stop raining but just like that whole i can feel this pain but i don't have to suffer with this pain 
I can still be in this situation and this can be a great thing. And people respond to you like that, bro. Like when you, I'm going to give you an example, man. If If you see a person, I mean, wholeheartedly from their belly laughing outside, like, I mean, just tripping out. Like, you look at them, and you're like, yo, what, the, yo, what is he laughing for? <laughs> yo, my man is tripping. But before you know it, what are you doing? You're laughing. Because yeah. when somebody does something from their soul that's authentic, it's contagious, and it, it creates mirrors. But the, the thing that we don't realize, James, is that that's not just germane to laughing. That's not just something that happens because somebody laughs. It happens because somebody is who they are. So if you are every day a person that feels less than worthy, the world responds to you as less than worthy. If you feel that you're somebody that's just forgotten about and neglected, the world responds to you like the laugh. If you've ever looked across the room and saw somebody yawn and then find yourself yawning, yeah. it's the same It's the same <laughs> thing, bro. It's not laughing and yawning. It's like, oh, those are true. Those are the things that we can just easily digest. And so what Sean Combs did, what P. Diddy has done, is what I am trying to do, is what I put into this book. Recognize whatever the little things that's going on. Do the internal mental work, right? And then watch. But you got to mean it. Like, you got to mean it. And, and then you have to be okay with, this is, this is, the, this is life. Life isn't, I say it and I put a seed in and it sprouts up. You put a seed in and you look at that ground and it look like dirt. And you yeah. come back tomorrow and it looks like dirt. And you come back in two weeks and it might be like a little bit of green something. It don't look like no apple tree. Sure. But if you give it some time and you water and you stay consistent, what happens is we put the seeds out there, bro. And then we don't see no apple tree and we, we throw deuces. Like, man, this, let me go back get my Apple Jacks, you know what I mean? Let me get some products, you know what I mean? We, we yeah. go back to what we know. I'm literally, dog, I mean this from my heart. I am trying to recreate laughter around me. I'm trying to recreate openness around me. I'm trying to recreate opportunity. I'm trying to recreate growth. But the way you do it is that you have to really yawn. You can't fake yawn and then look out your eye and see if somebody yawning. If that don't never work. You can't fake laugh. Fake laughing is annoying, like what is, yeah, what are you doing? Really Real laughing is contagious. So anyway, I just, I respect Sean Combs a lot for that, man. I want to do that in my own world. It's part of the major reason why I wrote the book. And you, you're going to get there, man. I, I tell you, um, I think a brother as passionate as you, you got a good message. It's, it's Like I said, it's, it's a good message. It's easy. And yeah, it's man. very relatable. And I think the, the biggest thing with the biggest thing about the book is it's so relatable. Like mm. you can you can you can really visualize yourself in these situations. And that's that's the most important thing. I think anytime people can relate to things, it makes Absolutely. it easier and it makes it more accessible and you can process it better. But it's I wanted to talk about something else real quick. Oh um, man, I am I'm, I'm on I got time, brother. I look I know it well you know when we you probably could go forever. <laughs> you, you know how we do you mentioned it was, and towards the end of the book, you mentioned you were having problems going to church. Yeah, man. 
it's, I tell you, man, I think, you know, what church has become, church has become kind of confusing to me. Mm. Um, I, I've always grown up going to church, but lately uh-huh. I, haven't, I haven't gone to church in years. My, you know, my family's always like, you need to go to church, you need to go to church. Yeah. Um, you know, that's fine. I think the biggest problem, you know, a lot of people, they don't ask you when they don't ask you what your relationship with God is like. It's right. always what church do you go to? What's your church home? It's like, do you, you do realize there's a bunch of broken people in church who just there, you know, because they feel like they fulfilling the quota. Right. You hung out, you hung out all night Saturday. And it's like, it's a badge of pride to get up tired, probably drunk. And still turn your way. Right. Yeah, be able to say it. Exactly. Be able to post no, I went to church. I went to church and God is good. But you didn't, you know, you didn't process the sermon. Mm. You know, you just was there. So it's like, man, you could have slapped in for that. Right. <laughs> right. But I mean, for the real value that you got, like, your life ain't really like what you moving and shaking on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because of what you got supposedly on Sunday. Yeah, man, that's important, man. It's, what, did you? So, are you back in church now? Because I know you were saying in the book you mentioned yeah, man. it almost sounded like you had you were doing home church. So, I, I really appreciate this question, man. I've been interviewed a bunch around the book. Um, this is the first time I get to share this part of it. You know, you're the first host to bring this to, 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 to the table. And I appreciate this opportunity, man. Um, spent a lot of my childhood growing up in a church that warned me, warned us a lot about the emptiness in what you just described. And it was designed to, it was intended to show the value in our church being, you know, so good, so connected, so in tune and in line. It had a, another effect with me, right? Um, most of the people that I grew up with when I was in Jacksonville for the time that I was there, most of my childhood after seven, um, most of the people in the churches that we were all, that was like one big conglomerate of churches, they never really left, right? They never really went anywhere. So that message accomplish what it was intended to do you're in the safe house this is good stay up in here stay connected because you're good to go there's so much out there that's fake and blah 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 and just checking something off a box and empty and people that's broken and not really blah all the stuff that you said right? for me not only did i leave up out of florida where that church was came back to baltimore I've lived in Italy for a little while. I have, as a speaker and a consultant, I've been to 39 of our 50 states, which means it's easier for me to name the 11 states that I haven't gone to than to name the 39 states that I did go to. I've been to the Caribbean. I've been in Mexico. I've been to Spain. I was in South Africa for a period. I've really, really, really moved around. And so, what I noticed is also what you said, James. There's a lot of form. There's a lot of function. 
um, I'm gonna use the SAT word. Uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of things that are perfunctory. Perfunctory is a simple word that means I'm doing it just to do it. That's perfunctory. If you do something just to do it, man, that, that was just perfunctory, right? There's a lot of that going on. Well, because I was put, I was put, made hip to it so long ago. By the time I started experiencing it, it was like somebody telling you, "This is also a true story." You remember them um, in the juice aisle, grocery store, bro? Tropicana Twister, Sunny you know, all of that kind of. You remember them drinks? Yeah, you, you probably got three or four of them in the refrigerator. You gonna have to forgive me for oh, that. I've been laying off that sugar drink, man. <laughs> Most of my life drinking those you could tell me i wasn't drinking juice let me get a cup of juice boom tropicana twist or whatever any of the similar type brands all right nothing against tropicana well i remember a friend of mine he got a job he was an older brother he was older than me but he was like he was still like a kid he was still like a 19 year old kid when i was 14 or 15. he was working a grocery store james he said man chris he was like, I don't drink that kind of stuff no more. I'm like, what you mean? What you talking about, man? It's good juice. He was like, bro, he took me to the refrigerator. He had some at his house at his mom's bar. He took me to the refrigerator, pulled it out, and was like, read the back of this. That thing at the top said something crazy like 7% juice, right? Yeah. He was like, bruh, what's the other 93% in this bottle? Blew my mind, messed me up. I never put two, two, two two and two together like that. And so I, I say that to say, I after that point, I really couldn't vibe with juices that that masqueraded them, drinks that masqueraded themselves up to be juices, right? I could do Gatorade, because Gatorade on the side of it says 0% fruit juice, and on the front of it is like, we got carbs and electrolytes. You trying to replenish? Like, was, like they're not trying to be a juice. They're not faking it. But some of your other brands are trying to come across as 100% juice drink, 100% punch. You know what I mean? And it's not really, it's not really a, it's not juice. It's not squeezed fruit into a bottle. And it messed me up with drinking juice. The hottest times in the churches is like this. When I go into churches and I don't see people, not that you got to be perfect. It's not what I'm talking about. It. I, I need to see evidence. You said processing the sermon. Not that you remember it, not that you take notes, but did you digest it and it hit your molecules in a way where you're thinking differently? Are you trying to be progressive and holistic? Are you loving? Are you seeing somebody and was like, yo, that little kid is me, that dirty I'm about to, I was about to use profanity to talk about church, but that dirty bum that's on the side of the street, that's me. That's not my brother. That's not my neighbor. That's me. And so because that's me, I want to give life into me how I hope somebody would if it really were me. And then in various levels of that, because that takes some that everybody, you just don't pop out the gate operating like that. Like that takes some growth into. But you expect to see the fruit of this stuff. And when you just get more 7% juice, 93% bull crap, yeah. 
I, so I, 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 it's, it's tough for me to be in that environment. I would much rather sit in a gutter, and I've literally done this, man. I, I literally sit, sat in, in Baltimore. There's this dude in B-more. His name is Shorty. I'm not going to use his real name. He goes by Shorty anyway. Um, his, his name is Shorty. Um, me and him had a conversation where I was trying to listen to the brother. It was dark. It was tons of people around. I had some people with me, and I made them wait. And we sat down on a curb. I ran his, he's a real activist kind of open dude here in B-more. I ran into him a thousand times after that over the years. And he always would just big up the fact that he was like, you see that brother right there? You see him? He sat with me in the gutter. And I didn't even know it was that big of a deal, but I believe that all of us got that kind of value, man. I believe there's a part in the scriptures that says, for real, Every Ten Commandment, every law, every Torah, every all of, all of that can be boiled down to two things: love God with all your heart, everything you can, as authentically as you can do it, and then number two, love everybody as if they were you. And right. If you do that. That fulfills all the intention of all them thousand. Don't wear these clothes with these things on these days, and have a holiday. And don't have a Everything that's the intention behind all of that stuff, if you love God with everything you can, authentically as best you can, you know how to do, and then anybody that's not you, you deal with them and rock with them as if they do, you fulfill the intention of what, that, bro, anywhere I go and I see that, I can feel it, I can taste it, I'm around it, that's where I vibe with, that's where I go. And anything that's like, we got to get through these bulletin points. We got to hit this itinerary. We got to check this off. It's not for me, man. It well, does see, great work and a lot. Go ahead, bro. I, I think so. My problem this is what I've come to kind of get frustrated with the black church with. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, what I call it, when a lot of people call it like prosperity preaching. Yeah, man. And it's like, and me and my wife, we talk about this all the time. And it's like the church, they don't really hold you accountable. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem is they don't hold you accountable. And, you know, when you look, this is, and then when you, you know, it's churches in, you know, the black community, a lot of these churches aren't, you know, not well to do areas. And I got an issue with, you know, a pastor or any, you know, when they pull up in the biggest car and got the biggest house. Now, listen, I know God is in the blessing business. You want to use that term? Okay, fair. But I don't understand how you can be a man of the people. You know, know, you're you're an upstanding person. Like, this is what people look up to. And you you come to a church. You know, your church, you know members are not financially well, but you're pulling up on them in a $100,000 car. You got the biggest house in the world. You know, I shouldn't say the world, but you you know where I'm, I'm going. With you. I'm with you, bro. And it, and my thinking is, you know, if you know, that's not. You can't tell me that's not what God wants. God does not yeah. want to have the biggest car. He wants us blessed. Yeah. He wants our needs provided. Yeah. But your need is not a Bentley. Yeah. Your need is not a jet. Yes. You know, I, God has made ways for you to fly business class. You don't right. need it. You can, you can, you can hop on business class and get your sermon. I don't think, I don't think flying with 
I don't think flying with a bunch of people going to hurt you. Who knows? God may put somebody in your path that you need to talk to. And but you in your private jet, you can't talk to nobody. Right. So, you know, as I think about as I've gotten older, um, you know, gotten older, read a little bit more, you know, you, you know, things bother you. Like, you know, when you come up, I don't know what denomination you were, but I was like apostolic Christian. And yeah. don't question anything. Correct. You're not but, supposed to. You bet not, right? You bet not. Like, come on. Like, so God gave me this wonderful brain that I have, <laughs> good intelligence, a, a mind to process information. But in this regards, I shouldn't ask questions. Like, I really do. I have a problem with that. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of people like my family, some people wouldn't understand, you know, my point of view. But and in, in, at times I wasn't comfortable with that. But I'm getting more and more. I'm actually very comfortable now with where I'm at because God knows my heart and He knows, you know, He knows my intentions are pure. Like I remember coming up and people always used to joke with me because I eat chicken a lot. Go figure, black men eat chicken. But anyway, you eat chicken. So, yeah. So you know, people used to always joke with me. And be like, you know, you should be a preacher. And then even even as I've gotten older, I, I talk to people at work, you know, about you know relationships, marriage, just life. Cause yeah, I with I work with a lot of young men, men that were younger than me. So I was like maybe like ten years older than them. So they would hear me giving them advice. And this, and one of my coworkers used to always say, "You should be, you should be a pastor, you should be a minister." And I tell her, "No, that's not my calling. Uh-huh. Like, I want." Because I don't want that. That's not that's not my calling. Like I wouldn't I don't want that. Like yeah. I feel like you can you can help anybody right, you know, when they cross your path. You don't need to be on a pulpit. You don't need you can't, you know, church has become so it's just become like I think more like especially our younger generation, they're either yeah, they're either so lost that they have no faith. Or they're starting to read and understand more, and they're starting to question things more. So the more you start to question things, the more you start looking at things a little different. You start looking at the Bible a little different. Like, I mean, yeah. the Bible is a good book. It's a but, great book. It's a but, great book. But you can't. But you cannot. At this point in my life, you cannot tell me that when I read the Bible, I shouldn't have any questions. Like some things, just it doesn't even make sense. sense but. Yeah. Don't make sense. That <laughs> doesn't. That doesn't sound like. Uh, you know, I want to. I want to hit on one of your points. I thought you made a great point, man, about the the, the people in the front, the pulpit, the, the pastors, the bishops having the biggest cars, biggest houses, and then pulling up, and then people don't have. I was having this conversation, right, and I was trying to share this point because I, I think that me and you might be on the same wavelength with this, man. So I'm. A, I'm a, I hope that I say this in a way that if me and you are vibing, I hope that we can share this message out. To, to more folks and maybe we can help impact the mentality. So I'm okay with the, if I want to learn how to shoot a basketball, I need to take tips from somebody who's really good at shooting a basketball. If I want to learn how to, you know, fillet a fish from like the people doing Japan, then I need to know somebody that's really good with fish and a knife and all that kind of stuff. You learn from people that demonstrated the skills. But if you are, if you're teaching to me, 
about how to get a big old, big old car like you, right? In its essence, boils down to you telling me to simply give you more money, whether, however we want to phrase it, build it front, give it the love offering, the celebration, the anniversary, you got to give the offering, these your tithes, give it unto the Lord. If, if your intention is really parasitic, you're sucking the life force out of me and all of us, building up yourself, and then that's the way you're telling me, you're not teaching me really how to, you know, you, you, Pastor Bishop, whomever, you own two, three, four, five, six, seven, 10, 12 properties. And maybe sometimes, right, you pull us up out of Leviticus, you pull us up out of Corinthians. Those books are phenomenal. And I appreciate the fact that they exist. But you spend some of that Sunday time saying, listen, when you get your paycheck, do some of your money like this, like this, like this, like this. Can you tell us, because we listen to you, sir, more than we listen to anybody else in our life. Can you let us know what a 401k is? Yeah. Can you, can you, can, I, I don't understand. My kid is about to leave already in college, dropping out. We're dealing with such and such and such. I don't know what a forbearance or deferment is. And I'm not to say that your, that your church needs to become a money talk. But what I'm saying is that there's some people that get, just like there's some people today that get 90% of their actual news from scrolling on Facebook. They don't know that something happened in the world news-wise unless it was in a feed. There's some people that don't get direction and education and approval and permission outside of the person that's at the pulpit. That's a big thing. This microphone, bro, the platform, you are Pastor James right now. Somebody told me this years ago that this microphone that you and I are sharing right now comes with an amazing responsibility because now simply from the fact that now you have it it adds so much more weight that your word kind of becomes a little bit of a law especially to the people that starts that start consuming your content and your show and your your podcast our microphone whatever it is over and over and over and over and over again you 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 have a, a position in their lives. So without knowing it, bro, you done already moved into the thing that people can tell you for years. You just did it your own way. <laughs> it's just fine. Like I think, like, and again, I, I don't like. Listen, I'm the, I'm the one that make it like I'm against church because I'm not like yeah, yeah, I know yeah. the things about church. But I just think at this point where we are, especially as black people, church has become irresponsible. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that it's like, okay, it, this is, this is my, this is my thinking and I can't, I can't tell anybody how to think, mm-hmm. but if you are a true man of God mm-hmm. and you know, let's just be honest, these mega churches, these guys are millionaires. Come on, man. They millionaires, bro. Yeah, they millionaires. Now, me personally, I couldn't feel right knowing that I'm the leader of this church. I know, you know, I know what God will want from me. Mm -hmm. So as a man, as a leader, I feel like 
everybody around me should be in a good position. So rather than me drive a Bentley, I would rather send a couple of my a couple of my uh, congregation children to college, something like that. You know, something to right. keep something to keep our people going because, you know, while you driving a Bentley, that's good for you, but what about your congregation? You know, when you when you plant, you you know, the Bible talk about planting seeds. Well, how about you go back and plant some of those seeds? You know, right. while you travel, you know. You can drive a Honda. It's okay, right? Think about the just think about the young people you just sent to do something great, and then in turn they'll come back and do something great. Like right. you, you have to continue to plant seeds. Like my goal with right now, my goal with my podcast and everything is to put myself in a successful position, mm-hmm. but I also need to have everybody around me successful. Like nice. my goal, like, you know how people get famous mm-hmm. and, you know, and they, they, they wear clothes that, you know, Gucci or yeah. India or Prada. Like, I don't want to wear that. Like I would much rather, I would much rather have on a shirt from, a local designer, but I'm so popular, like just me wearing that shirt has produces. Yeah, because I don't look, man. I'm I'm 38. Like God willing, I I feel like I got some more time left on this earth. God willing, right? But my life is not about me. Like life is life should never be about you. Right. Like you when you know when you um when you when you know when when God call you home, you know. When them people sitting in them pews, they're not gonna remember. They're gonna no. remember how you touch. They're gonna remember how you touch their lives. They're not gonna remember the car you drove, the big house you lived in. You know when they when people die, and you sit there and you wonder like, you know how this person touched my life. Right. Like I have a, I I always I got this thing, man. I tell all my friends, you know my family. I always tell them they're doing something. I'm, I'm proud of them, and I'm happy for them. Because I don't ever want them to leave this earth not hearing that from me. Yeah. Like you you know, you sitting there, you know, we all go to the funerals and you know, everybody talking great about the person. He was this, he was that. He may he may not have been there, but on that day, he's the best human being that God ever created. Right. But I don't ever want people to sit at my funeral. And they thinking, and, you know, and people saying good things about me. And, they, and somebody sitting in the pews like, shit. Right. <laughs> when he do something, he never told him to do. They sitting there like, y'all don't know that motherfucker like I know him. So, you know, I'm like, nah, man. Like, it's just your life, man. I think, you know, you your impact, you, you are, your, your life is who you impact. Like, I don't care that, you know, don't get me wrong. I want to be successful. Like I want to put my family in a position where, you know, we, you know, I don't have to make decisions worried on finances. But I will feel even better if I if I put myself in a position where ten other people are now successful because of me. Correct. Like, that's why, man. My favorite, my favorite athlete is LeBron James. Man, I you know, I didn't know that LeBron was doing the things that he's doing. I had no idea that that was happening. 
Um, and come to find out, this brother is legitimately doing some amazing things in the community, some amazing things for, uh, he's speaking out, he's being active, he's opening charter schools. I didn't even know all of this was going on. So you know, you you know his right hand man, Maverick Carter. I don't know. I don't know who Maverick is. So Maverick is Maverick is LeBron's like right hand man. So LeBron coming out of high school, you know, he could have he could have went with the agent or the people that everybody told him to go with, but he put himself in a position and he took his friends with him. And now Maverick Carter is one of the most powerful men in the NBA. Forget the NBA, just period. Like dude, he he's the guy who who's running the undefeated. Like all these shows LeBron doing and all these things, Maverick What's Carter, the, Maverick, Maverick Carter. He's the one who's like he's the one who's behind the scenes doing all the work. So LeBron used his basketball talents to put him in a position where this man could take care of about four or five generations. Like that, you know, like that's what it's about, man. It's not about like life is not about you. The minute, the minute you, the minute people really sit down and understand like life is not about you, <laughs> you will get you and everyone else will get further along because it's an easy concept to grasp, but man, it's not. I, I I didn't know that he was doing it, man. It it I, I wasn't a big LeBron fan um, when he made the move to Miami. I, I was I was somewhat of a fan before he went to Miami. I was looking forward to Kobe LeBron having a showdown East versus West, blah blah blah. Right. Then he went to Miami, and I was like, it's in and everything. Did. And then Derrick Rose started playing for the Bulls. That was I've always been a Bulls fan since the Jordan era. And so, you know, the Bulls and he had – anyway, long story short, I wasn't a LeBron fan on the court, and I wasn't a LeBron fan off the court until this year. Um, yeah. I'm still not a LeBron fan on the court. I respect his game. That brother is one of the most talented – he is one of the most talented uh, players to ever touch a ball. It doesn't make sense for a dude – to be as big, as tall, as powerful as he is, and be able to dunk and shoot threes and finger roll and post up and like all of that stuff, you know, he shouldn't be able to do everything that he's doing. Um, but to see how he's moving out there in the world, bro, I think he embodies the stuff that me and you have been talking about. I think he embodies giving back. I think he embodies the love that we were speaking about. I think he embodies those things. So. I, I, I'm starting to develop some respect. I can't say I'm a fan, but uh, I'm starting to develop some. You can be, you can have my uh, fan seat, bro. I, I just feel some respect from over here. Close enough. I'm a. We're gonna close on this. Cool. Where do you um? Where do you see yourself in five years? Because I, I I I really think you're about to do some great things. But where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah, man. Um. So. Uh, I um. Given the fact that we just talked about money and the church and all that kind of stuff, I kind of, I'm hesitant to say this, but I'm just going to go ahead and share it. I told you I spent, early in our conversation, I told you that I had a mentality of struggle. I thought I was supposed to struggle, and thus life gave me struggle. Um, There's a, you know, we were talking about, uh, a lot about the Bible and, and God. Well, 
you know, I don't know if this is in the Bible or if this is just a church, churchy, church folk saying, but God gives you the desires of your heart. But he never, it never said only good desires or only bad desires, right? And so, like, if the desire of my heart, unintentionally but well-intended, was that I needed to struggle, I believe that we can pull that to us. I believe that we can pull heartache unnecessarily. You can pull disappointment if that's what you look for, if that's what your faith pulls to you. You know, yeah. your faith doesn't necessarily have to just pull you blessings and miracles out the sky. You can actually believe that you're unsafe and create conditions of unsafety, right? All that to say, I have given myself permission, bro. I have, I have grown into the space where it's okay to be a giver and love people and, and work in the purpose that God has birthed in my life that I feel like I'm flowing in and also have wealth. And that wasn't a truth for me. There's probably 10,000 people that can say both, right? And be like, oh yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I've been do that. I didn't. I didn't know that that was okay for me. So it, I'm going to be wealthy in about five years. I'm on a very great trajectory. I, 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 there's some companies that's looking to endorse the message of my book because they feel like they are, it aligns with their brand. That's phenomenal. That that's not me changing. That's that's you know a mutual alignment. Um, I don't really do well by playing with playing by the rules, man. And, and it's not that I'm a rule breaker. Is that I believe in being responsive and organic and having life. And life is not static and, and squareical. That's not a real word, James. Don't ever say that. <laughs> right. But you know, life isn't life isn't just that. Life grows and it changes and so i believe in moving through this world like that as such it, it i feel honored I'm, I'm, there are high schools that are about to purchase my book because they believe that it's good for uh improving study habits and improving peer-to-peer -peer relationship choices and improving overall quality of life in the uh, school climate i'm going to philadelphia to work with some schools i'm going to do some work in north carolina later on this year this right here is about to be gift making room for you. This is about to be it for me, but it's because of all of the stuff that we just spent this time talking about. I believe it's all lining up. I believe it all has purpose. And I believe, dude, humbly, but very, very confidently, I believe that my words are valuable to people's molecules, to their growth, to their being. I believe that, but I believe it was given to me to share if that makes right. any sense so that's let's come with me man that, that's how i feel about it i feel that for everybody let's go hey, let's right, listen i'm 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 telling you this and i truly believe that book is going to take you places and i congratulate you for it in advance we're going to both speak it into existence thank you brother i believe it man i'm looking forward to connecting jay thanks a lot bro oh before you before you go make sure you tell them how to get the book Oh, man. So listen, folks, everything that's connected to me, right, um, is Rodney C. Burris. It's just my name. So if you are a Facebooker, you are a Twitterer, a tweeter, if you are an IG person, if you love YouTube videos, I got tons of content on my YouTube channel, Rodney C. Burris, Facebook. My website is Rodney C. Burris. If you go on Amazon, you want to download the book, you want to go to Kindle, you want to download the book, or you want to buy the book and get the hard copy. 
Um, James, I hope maybe you can put an image up of the book or maybe you want to put my funny looking face up there and let these people know what man, what this man looked like talking all this, this foolishness. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, but however you want to do it, Bride, I'm just saying all of that to say if you wanted the hard copy of the book, if, if James had the image up that he wanted to share or not or, or whatever, just go to Amazon, either type in the title of the book, which is Get Off the Cycle and Run, get off the cycle stop being stuck right get off the cycle and the reason why you have to run james is because you can't just get off the cycle and walk or mosey or meander because you can get right back in your situations in those behavior patterns you have to get off the cycle and move with intention you get right. off the cycle and run right so you go to amazon you type in get off the cycle and run or you type in my name Roddy c burst that stuff will come up i would love to connect I personally run my social media. I personally have my phone. It's the same phone number that I had since 01. Uh, so anyway, my, my email account is RodneyCBurris at Gmail. If you use that, we will connect. It'd be my pleasure to connect with anybody out there, man. Let's uh, see if we can grow together. Hey, thanks for your time, man. Cool, bro. This another episode of Conversation with Lamp. And thank you all for listening. Take care. Appreciate it.